Josh Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here at Storyline. As you've been welcomed, I'm just going to do it again. All right. I don't care. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for coming out and joining us on this big, big Sunday for us. So as Chair said, we're going to be in John chapter six. But before I start preaching at you, all right, let me introduce myself a little bit. So my wife and I grew up in the state of Oklahoma. Um, my family moved across the state pretty frequently until I was age 14, moved to a suburb just outside of Oklahoma City. It's where I met my wife um, at 14. We started dating at 16 and stuck together until we graduated from college and got married a month after she graduated. Dad said that we couldn't get married until she graduated, and so we did it as close as we could to that <laughs> actual graduation date. You know what I'm saying? So we have four little boys. I'm going to have a picture up here of my family. So we have Seth, Sutton, Sawyer, and Shepard, four boys, all seven and under. So life is really easy in our family, not much energy going on whatsoever. But um, we struggled a little bit with infertility before we had our firstborn. So we're just really grateful for the little family that God has given us. I've served in multiple ministry positions in, in different states over the last 15 years before moving to St. Louis to plant Storyline. Now, you may be asking the question, why are you starting a new church? And if I had a dollar for every single time that I probably heard that question, I have a whole other stimulus check in my bank account right now. But I could talk to you with a list of reasons why we're starting a new church. I could talk to you about our need for community. How God has hardwired us for relationships and how loneliness has plagued cities like ours well before the pandemic. I could talk to you about opportunities to serve our neighborhoods, school systems, the marginalized and the poor. I could talk to you about the rates at which churches are closing in St. Louis, which is at a pretty alarming rate. But there's one important reason that supersedes all of these. And that's I want you to know Jesus. Like deep down in my bones, I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know what he's done for you, the depths of his love for you. And that's why we're starting a series, starting our church, a series on Jesus. So in the Gospel of John, you have these seven different statements. They're called the I am statements, where Jesus just makes it very plain and clear about who he is. And so tonight we're going to be looking at the very first I am statement, which is I am the bread of life. So here's what we're going to do over the next six weeks. We're going to look at these different seven I am statements. So we're doing this in-person gathering. Our next in-person gathering will be on March 21st, and we're doing weekly gatherings online. You can get that link on our website. We're going to be working through each one of those. So here's what I want to do, do tonight is we're looking at I am the bread of life. I want to look at three points that are in this text. Then we'll dive into some application and then I'll close. All right. So for us to start, as I said, we're in John chapter six. Let me catch you up with where we're at in the gospel of John and in Jesus's life. So at this point, Jesus is in his early 30s. In John 6, Jesus and his disciples are near Jerusalem for a large Jewish festival called the Passover feast. Now, this is a seven-day festival where God's people travel to Jerusalem to remember this really historic period in God's people's life where he has liberated them from slavery in Egypt. And so they do a lot of these different rituals and practices over the seven-day period where they're remembering God's liberation of their people from the nation of 
Egypt. And by this point in Jesus' ministry, he's performed a lot of miracles and he's gained a really large following. And you see both of these realities reflected in the stories just before the one that we're looking at tonight. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, you see Jesus feed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. Just miraculous provision. And then immediately after that, as the day winds down, as everybody goes to bed, as they go back to their houses, Jesus sends off his disciples and he catches up with them by walking on water. Now, this miracle is only one that Jesus' disciples encountered. And and in fact, it actually produced a lot of confusion for the crowds that were following Jesus about where he was. So verse 22 tells us that the day after Jesus walked on the water, the crowds were confused by where Jesus was, his whereabouts. There was only one boat where they were, and the crowd saw the disciples board that boat and cross the sea without Jesus. Yet they wake up and they see that Jesus is nowhere to be found. So John, the author of this gospel that we're in, reports that the crowds boarded some boats that had just come in from a place called Tiberias in order to catch up with Jesus. And this gets us to where we're going to find our first point. So I'm going to read a couple of verses for us, and then we'll start diving in. All right, so verse 25 says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. See, Jesus doesn't tell them about walking on water here. He doesn't even actually answer the question that they pose for him. So if this is me, all right, if I'm putting myself in Jesus' shoes, if I walk on water, I'm coming home and I'm throwing open that door. I'm tossing down my bag and I'm going, I'm grabbing my wife by the arms and I'm saying, babe, you're not going to believe what just happened today. And I'm going to walk her through every single detail of that encounter, how far I walked on the water, just what it felt like to have water below my feet and me not to sink. Like I'm working through all of these details, but Jesus doesn't even go there. In fact, he doesn't answer their question, but he gets straight to the heart of the matter with the crowds. He says, you aren't looking for me because of what I did, which is feed 5,000 people from five loaves of bread and two fish, but because of what I gave you, which is full bellies. See, Jesus here, I believe, is subversively pointing out something to the crowds that is also relevant for us tonight. And here's what it is. It's our first point. We are all spiritually hungry. We are all spiritually hungry. You see, the crowd's bellies impair their vision of the bigger picture of what's going on with what Jesus does at the beginning of John chapter 6. You see, they have this commercial attitude towards Jesus. They think, I came to this man and he gave me food that filled my belly and now I'm coming back to him in order to have these needs met in my life. But Jesus isn't distracted by the crowd's short-sightedness, and he points out the real problem. See, it's not the physical hunger that it's the crowd's real issue. It's their spiritual hunger. We have evidence of that in verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. You see, the real issue is not where their next meal comes from, but where their eternity rests. That's good, sir. 
So we all know how hunger works. We all have these physical bodies, right? We know that our bodies are made to consume food. And whenever we don't have that food and we have empty bellies, our bellies communicate to the rest of our body. Our stomachs begin to growl. We experience hunger pangs. I have cravings that overcome our body. Some of us get lightheaded. Some of us get hangry. You know what I'm saying? No matter your reality, the Snickers commercial becomes true that you are not who you are when you're hungry. And these experiences, they're unrelenting until our bellies are satisfied with the food that they desire. Now here's the reality for us. Our souls are really no different. Our souls are no different. Just like our stomachs were created to be satisfied, our souls too were created for satisfaction. So our souls long for things like meaning and purpose and significance. And when they lack such things, the cravings of our soul, they permeate our body just like whenever our stomachs are empty. Instead of bodily sounds or heightened sense of smell, we experience things like emptiness and sadness and disappointment and feelings of insignificance. Let me give you an example, all right? So there was a businessman way back when who was going to speak at a conference near Oxford University. And as he got up there, you could just see the determination inside of him. He gets up there and he starts speaking and he gives this incredible example of spiritual hunger that I just deeply resonated with, all right? So here's what he said in his speech. As you know, I've been very fortunate in my career and I've made a lot of money, far more than I ever dreamed of, far more than I could ever spend, and far more than my family needs. And as he's speaking, like you can just see something begin to switch inside of him. There's this betrayal of a deeper emotion that's going on inside of him. And as he's speaking, you begin to see this tear that starts to trickle down his face. And here's what he continued to say. To be honest, one of my motives for making so much money was simple to have the money to hire people to do what I don't like doing. But there's one thing I've never been able to hire to any, been able to hire anyone to do for me, and that's to find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. And listen to this. I'd give anything to discover that. Friends, this is spiritual hunger. There's a craving and a desire that's going on deep within this man that I think a lot of us can resonate with. You see, what Jesus is saying here to the crowd is that satisfying your spiritual hunger is far more important than satisfying your physical hunger. See, no matter where you are today, no matter what's going on, if you have a pulse here today, we are all spiritually hungry. Every single one of us. Now, this may, our experiences may vary. Some of us, it may just feel like the size of a pea, but some of us, it may feel like the size of a Grand Canyon right now. But nevertheless, we all have this spiritual hunger that's going on deep inside of us. We all have this desire to belong. We all have this desire to have a purpose and meaning to life. We all have a, a desire to be fully accepted by someone in this life. Flaws in everything. We have this deep desire that goes deep within our own souls. And here's why. The Bible tells us why. It's because this thing called sin has invaded our lives. It's invaded this world. And it started from nearly the very beginning. 
Romans chapter 3 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you may be coming in here and you're saying, Josh, whoa, 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 like you've never met me before. Like I got a door hanger on my door and I came in here. You don't know my life. Like if you knew me, like you know that I would, I keep most of the rules. Like, I, I, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Like, the household that I live in, we abide by the rules. Like, we come in, I'm really nice to people. Like, my neighbors love me. I'm, I'm the best neighbor in this neighborhood. My coworkers love me. I'm great to my family. Like, Josh, you don't know anything about me. Like, I serve my community. I've gone and picked up trash. I've donated to the causes. Like I've loved the the people that are staying at the corner asking for help. Like you don't know who I am. And the reality is you probably are super great. I would love to have you as my neighbor probably. But here's the issue for all of us. We all have the sin problem. You see, Galatians 3.10 tells us this. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. If there's one instance, which we all have far more than that, if we're just really honest with ourselves, even if there's one instance, there's been the severance that has happened in our relationship with God, which means we all now have this deep sin issue that's going on in our life. We have this God-shaped void that has happened because of our sin, and we are doing everything that we possibly can to try to figure out how to fill it. Which leads us to our second point, which is we are all looking for the solution. Every single one of us are looking for the solution. We see this in verses 27 through 33. What can we do to perform the works of God, the crowds ask? Listen, listen to that question. What can we do to perform the works of God? What a question. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, we see the crowds looking for the solution to their spiritual hunger here and their two questions. So the first question is this, what can we do to perform the works of God? Literally, Jesus, just tell us what to do. Like, just give us the answer. Like you've drawn out this void that I didn't know that I had by jumping to this question. You just completely didn't even answer our question. You just started saying that we're looking for something that's bigger and deeper than what our physical bodies are saying. I didn't realize this was going on, but now that I do, so just tell us what we need to do, Jesus. And then Jesus tells them, and then look at their second question. What sign are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? Like, give us a sign, Jesus, so we can believe the words that you're saying. Like, how are we to know that what you tell us is genuinely going to satisfy us? Give us a sign, Jesus. And these two questions, I think they infer a couple of things about the crowd and us as well. All right? The first one is this, that when we are, as we are looking for the solution, our default is to jump to, we think it depends on us. 
We think it depends on us. We think we are the ones that are to either do the thing in order to make a relationship right with God, or we are to find the solution in order for us to fill that void that's going deep inside of us. We think it depends on us and we must be the ones that find the solution. And the second one is this, is that we're all skeptics. So when somebody tells us what the thing is, we automatically jump to doubt because if we're true, truly honest with ourselves, we've probably tried most of the things. There's been over-promise and then under-delivered that's continually happened in our life over and over and over again because we've been trying to fill this God-shaped void that's going on deep inside of our life. And so when somebody says, hey, I have the answer, we just automatically move to skepticism. So here's the cycle for us, right? Like we, we go to the thing. You can fill in the blank for whatever that might be for you. And as we jump to that thing, we have to go back to it over and over and over again, over again to it because it has this gratification that is temporary. And as we jump to that thing, some of us, we keep going to it, we keep going to it, we keep going to it. Or this is the other thing that you could do. You just give up on it and you go to the next thing. And then the next thing. And then the next thing because it just never seems to fill what's going deep down inside of you. In fact, there's, there's a song by the, the band Dawes that I think just portrays this really well. So the, the song that Dawes wrote, it's called Didn't Fix Me, and it goes throughout the entire song, and it lists out a lot of these probable solutions that we look to for fulfillment. So the first one he says, he goes to the healer, the one that had the mic strapped to his face, and I can't help but think of Jim Carrey's Yes Man whenever I hear this. So... He says he goes to the man with a mic strapped to his face and he tells him which habits to surrender and which habits to embrace. And then he moves to things like community service. He talks about this book that one of his friends recommended and he thinks he gets the message. He talks about the fame that he's received and the accolades that Hollywood has given him and these speeches that he's gone and written for them. Then he moves to something that I think a lot of us have dived into, which is relationships. He says, I found someone that loves me and she sees the way that I'm, ways that I'm ugly and loves me for all those reasons. But after each and everything that he works through the song, he looks back on how they've affected him. And as he looks back, he moves forward with this conclusion, which is actually more of a confession. So after each and every single one, he says this, it still didn't fix me. It didn't fix me. It didn't fix me the way that I thought that it would. So these things that we continue to go back to over and over again, a lot of these things that you probably can relate to that is in this song, they just don't seem to satisfy. And here's the reason, all right? We need someone or something that is big enough to satisfy our spiritual hunger and then committed enough to us to to stick with us. We need someone that's big enough to actually satisfy this deep craving that's going on inside of us. And then we need someone that's committed enough to stick it out with us in this life, which leads us to our third point. So the first one is this, we are all spiritually hungry. The second one is we are all looking for the solution. And then the third point is this, only Jesus can satisfy your hunger. 
See this in verses 34 through 35. So the crowds, after Jesus has worked through the questions that they've posed to him, they say, sir, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Friends, Jesus is big enough to satisfy your spiritual hunger because he is God in the flesh. See, when Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he's making some really important connections for us here. So the first two instances that we see here, the Exodus is one that Jesus is relating to here. So as we are talking about Jesus here with the crowds, all of God's people are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this big Passover feast, the seven-day festival that's going on. And it's remembering a lot of these things that God has done for his people as they were liberated from slavery in Egypt and as they're wandering through the wilderness. And one of the things that God did to provide for his people is they literally, God literally rained down bread from heaven called manna. So every single morning, God's people would wake up and there would be these breadcrumbs that would be on the ground and they would go and they would gather as much as they needed for the day. And this happened day after day after day. And so as God's people are coming to celebrate this Passover feast, this is likely on their mind. They've been talking about it with their kids on the road as they travel. They've been rehearsing the events of what it would feel like and be like in order for them to be with God's people as they're working through the wilderness. This is very much at the forefront of their mind as they are gathering for this Passover feast, which leads to the second instance at the beginning of John chapter 6 when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Does it with five loaves of bread and two fish. Miraculous provision. Jesus is trying to make a connection for these people. As this exodus is at the forefront of their mind, and as Jesus has performed this miracle at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus is saying this, it's me. It's me. Like, I'm finally here. Like, I'm the one that provided for you in the wilderness. I'm the one that knew exactly what your physical bodies would need. I'm the one that brought you out of liberation. I liberated you from slavery in Egypt. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. All these promises that God's prophets have laid down before you, I'm the one that they're talking about. I'm here. Can't you see that it's me? I just fed you with five loaves. Not only were there five loaves left, there's symbolism that's going on here. There's 12 basketfuls that are left over, one for each tribe of God's people. Can you see that it's me? It's me. Listen, Jesus is big enough to satisfy the deep cravings that are going on in your soul because he is God in the flesh. He has come down to earth. He's put on human flesh. He climbed the tree of death and he died in your place. He stayed there. He sacrificed his body in order that he may have life in you, that you may have life in him. To invite you into his family, Jesus is big enough, friends, to satisfy your spiritual hunger. The second one for us, is that he is also committed enough. He's committed enough to you. 
Later in John chapter six, Jesus says this, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. See, my family, um, before we moved here to St. Louis, we lived in a place called Louisville, Kentucky. I'm sure you've heard of it. And the neighborhood that we lived in was just around the corner from a university called Bellarmine University. And so we moved in there. I knew it was a Catholic university, and I knew that they had a really good basketball program. And that's about it that I knew about this place. So as we move in, I just naturally get a little bit curious about the history of this place, what's been going on. And what I find out is that it's named after this man called Robert Bellarmine. He was a cardinal in the Catholic faith during the mid-1500s to the early 1600s. And so one of the things he's best well-known for is the, his role that he played in the Counter-Reformation, all right, which was Martin Luther nailing the 99 Theses on the door. We heard, we heard about this. We learned about this in our schools. Like, you can probably understand, go back to that point. And here's what this Robert Bellarmine said in this Counter-Reformation. He said, the doctrine of assurance is the greatest of all Protestant heresies. Now, here's what the good news for us. The Bible speaks over us a better word. In Christ, we have absolute assurance. Amen. The Apostle Paul, I think, puts it so powerfully in Romans chapter 8, which we read in our liturgy moments ago. He says this, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither Angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. No, not the stuff that's in your past or the things that you're going to do in the future. No, no powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, here's the promise that Jesus is making. If you declare Jesus as Lord, literally laying down the rights to your life, there's absolutely nothing that can pluck you out of the love of God. You are forever sealed in his hand. There is nothing that can take you out. The promise of Jesus, as he stands before the crowds and says, I am the bread of life. He's saying, I am the solution that you've been looking for. I'm big enough to satisfy the cravings that go deep down into your own soul. I'm committed enough to you that I will never cast you out. I am the bread of life which leads us to our application tonight, all right? And it's the same for all of us. It might just be different perspectives of the way that we're looking at this, all right? And it's that we receive the bread of life, all right? So if you're a person that comes into here the, tonight and you have not had a relationship with Jesus, like maybe you're hearing this passage for the very first time, the, the response for you tonight is to receive the bread of life. And here's the good news that there's absolutely nothing that you have to do tonight in order to make yourself right. Here's the good news of what Jesus is saying to us. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do the right thing. You don't have to perform the act. The crowds question, what are the works of God that we have to do? Jesus is saying, you don't have to do any of that. All I'm asking you to do is to put your worst foot forward. There's a, one of my favorite hymns puts it like this. It says, come you weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. Literally saying like, man, there's an effect that sin has on your life. And it places this big burden on your shoulders. We all have this invisible bag that we're carrying around because of the sin and suffering that we've gone through in this life. And as we're dragging it through, it wears us out. 
It does. A lot of us may have come, into here, come in here tonight feeling really weary and burdened. Like your shoulders just felt really heavy as you came in here tonight. But here's the good thing. If, it says, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Literally saying this. Listen, there's absolutely nothing that you can do to make yourself right. If you're pausing coming to Jesus because you think there's something you need to clean up in your life, the reality is that you'll never come at all. Because you can't fix yourself. You can't fix this void that's going on inside of you. You can't fix the sin problems that you've seen, maybe even passed down from generation to generation in your family. There's things that you just can't seem to fix. And what Jesus is saying is like, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to come and receive the bread of life. And as you receive the bread of life, Jesus is the one that steps into your life and he's the one that begins to heal. He's the one that begins to put you back together again. To receive the bread of life. Some of us are coming in here and we are Christians. We've declared Jesus as Lord. We received him, received him as Savior. He's done the good work in your life. The call for Jesus, of Jesus, here tonight for you is for you to remain. Remain. John chapter 6 says this also. It says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, what? Remains in me and I in him. See, the call for the Christian life, if you're a Christian, you're coming in here and you're hearing this word tonight, the call for you is not to look to anything else besides Jesus to satisfy your spiritual hunger. The Bible tells us that we are a people that are prone to wonder, and man, I feel this deep in my bones. Do you? I feel this draw to go back to things that I once tried to fill my life with to find satisfaction and to fulfill those cravings that go deep down in my own soul. But what the call of the Christian life is to fight against it. One pastor puts it like this, beware of anything that competes with loyal to Jesus Christ in your life. And here's the reality, okay? Here's the gift of Jesus to us is that we need a community in order to do so. So my family, we were big lake people growing up. We, had, we owned our own boat. Our first boat, get this, was a boat that we, was given to us because it fell off a trailer on a highway and it had a bunch of fiberglass things that needed to be fixed. So we took this in where I was part of a pastor's family, which means we didn't have any money. So we took the free boat, you know what I'm saying? And we fixed it up ourselves. And so we would take it out. There's one instance where we're out on the lake and there's this big swanky boat and it dies. And so we're this, it has this, avocado green on it. It's like janky, y'all, like super janky. We pull up and we're like, hey, do you need a lift? And so we pull it back into the dock. That's the kind of boat that we had. But we loved the lake. We grew up on the lake. That's where I learned how to drive, all right? I learned how to drive by driving a boat and backing a trailer into the lake. That's what we did. And there was one thing that I really struggled with as I was learning to drive the boat, and that was to drive it up to the dock, all right? It sounds really simple, but it was really hard for like a 13 year old. <laughs> so I'm driving up the boat and here's what would happen. I'd usually drive it up and I would like bang up against the dock. So what I've found is that you need someone at the very front of the boat that is ready to receive sort of like the rope or the chain on the dock in order to anchor the boat to the dock. But there's also these like flotation devices that are in between the dock and the boat. 
And as you're coming up, it helps with like this collision that can happen to where it keeps the boat safe and the dock safe from people like me. And so as you're driving up, like you're coming up and like your boat will bump up against these buffers that are on the dock while someone is getting the rope and tying down the boat. Now here's the reality, all right? So here's what, here's what I'm trying to say. It's not your job to anchor yourself down. See, God gives you this gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself, who comes and lives inside of you. And he's the one that anchors you to Jesus. He's the one that seals you. He's the one that saves you. He's the one that keeps you. That's not your job. But here's the gift of the Christian life, all right? That God puts people around you that serve as a buffer. They're the flotation devices between the dock and the boat. They're the ones that whenever the waves and ripples of life come at you, they're the ones that are around you that continue to point you back to Jesus and help you remain in the bread of life. So this means for us that we a people who are prone to wonder when we want to run back to the things that we have this community that's around us that continues to point us to the truth of reality that Jesus is the bread of life and he's the only one that can satisfy our spiritual hunger. When shame and guilt seem to take over our heart and our mind, we have friends that are a part of our community that are pointing us to the real genuine truth that Jesus is the one that holds us, he's the one that keeps us, and he's the one that satisfies us. Whenever the waves of life are, are, seem to be coming, pounding against our own life. They're the ones that serve as the buffer that keep us afloat in this life. So here's the, question, here's the, the application for us, friends, is that you step in. Listen, if you don't have a church home, we have these things called community groups, where we have people that are literally living this fight of the Christian life to remain. And so the call for you tonight is step in. Like join a group. We have three groups that meet here in South City that we would love for you to connect with. People that are literally trying to fight this Christian fight of remaining in Jesus. So step in. Step in. Join a community. Get a people around you that can serve as a buffer in this life to help you remain in Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. May we fight the good fight to remain in him. Let me conclude with this, all right? So there's this old philosopher, mathematician called Blaise Pascal. Um, he was this sort of child prodigy in, math, in mathematics as a kid, like really received a ton of accolades growing up. And there, you've probably heard of this guy, Rene Descartes, as you were working through, el, like not elementary school, but probably high school or college. You had to study a little bit, little bit about him. He was infamously jealous of Blaise Pascal and just the genius of this man. Yet, even in spite of all these accolades that he got growing up, he still remained unfulfilled. And it wasn't until through the illness of his father that he was introduced to the bread of life through a couple of priests that were caring for his father. And he summarizes what we've been discussing this whole entire night so well in just a few sentences. So here's what he said. It should be on the screen. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there to help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. And listen to this. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Friends, 
Jesus is the bread of life. We're all spiritually hungry. We're all looking for the solution. But listen, only Jesus can satisfy your hunger. He's big enough to satisfy your spiritual hunger and cravings because he's God in the flesh. And he's committed enough to you and he's gonna bring you all the way home. Receive the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that as we wrestle with this saying of Jesus, as he's coming and he's telling us who he is, He's God in the flesh. He's the one that provided for God's people in the past, and he's going to be the one that provides for them in the future. I pray that we, as a people, would receive the bread of life. God, I, I ask that if we have not received Jesus yet, if this has been something that has been lacking in our life, we have not taken that step forward, that we wouldn't, we'd have the courage just to move forward as we are that we wouldn't try to fix up our life, we wouldn't try to get certain things out of our life before we take that step. The reality is, is that we can, we'll never be able to do so, and we'll just be stuck. And so I pray that you give us the courage just to put our worst foot forward tonight and receive Jesus as the bread of life, the only one that can truly satisfy the cravings of our souls. If we place our trust in Jesus, I pray that we would fight the good fight to remain that you would keep us, God, as you've promised. Remain true to your promises to us. And as you've given us a gift of community in this life, would you bring people into our lives that serve as the buffer against the ways of this life that continue to pound up against us, that hit us, that seem to draw us down, and they help keep, up, keep us afloat, keep pointing us back to Jesus, helping us fight the good fight to remain. God, would you do this? Would you do a good work in our life? Continue to show us who this Jesus is. We ask these things in Christ himself's name. Amen.